Our buddy Nate here is the CEO of Begara, mm-hmm. which, congratulations, what an awesome job you guys are doing. Thank you. Welcome. It's pretty good lucky timing, too, with Remington totally just jumping off the cliff committing suicide. You think? Man. I'm so <laughs> happy for you. Golly, I mean, I, I wish I could take all the credit for it. <laughs> well, I got to say, <laughs> me, probably anyone in the world is happier for you. I mean, I ain't mad about it. It uh, Timing has been very fortunate for us or fortuitous, depending on how you want to say that. But yes, it's been uh, been very, very good. Um, things have come together for a multitude of reasons. We like to think we make a good product. Definitely um, identified a, an area of, of uh, opportunity, and and um, and Lady Luck has shined on us a little bit. It's it's funny how that happens when you try real hard. It is. Yeah, yeah. People that try real hard get luckier than yeah lazy people that don't and sit around and complain. It seems that is very true. Um. Okay, so I, I was ignorant to a lot of these things. First of all, Bagara. I guess USA, is that what you guys are called? Bagara America, Bagara, what's the U.S. faction of this? Sure. Okay. Uh, yep, it's, that's pretty scientific. So you <laughs> so you were in, outside of Atlanta, uh, a, a mile or two for my old company, Advanced Armament. Your old stomping grounds. We actually yeah. are in Lawrenceville. Oh, yeah. And uh, we've been there for about five years. Um, prior to that, we were in Duluth, which is the next town yeah. down. And then... Uh, and then uh, Prior to that, we were over in uh, Norcross. So we've always been... Just, just least, like me, I was... Advanced Armament was in all of those towns as well. I didn't know that. Yeah. I always thought Lawrenceville. No, no. It was started in Lawrenceville in Bullseye is where I started Advanced Armament. Yeah, so Advanced Armament was in all of those towns. So we started out in Bullseye Indoor Range in the back there. had 300 square feet. And then I moved to uh, Lilburn first. Five Forks, Trickham Road. My next building was in Duluth, hmm. uh, then Norcross, and then Lawrenceville again. Didn't know that. Yeah, I moved I every two so. years for ten years, basically. Well, moving sucks. It did. So I've I've uh, told our team that they can move again, but if they do it, they're going to do it without me because I'm going to quit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm going to go yeah. to the unemployment line. It, it's not a whole lot of fun. God, as big as you guys are now, moving would be a nightmare. That hmm. is true. Okay, so there, it's not just Pagara. So is BPI, is that the name of the parent company? BPI Outdoors is our, is our corporate name, and, and really that goes back to 1999 when the company was formed to buy the assets of Connecticut Valley Arms, or CVA. Yeah, Basically, C- CVA. what people know is CVA muzzleloaders. Yeah, okay, well, when did you start there? Uh, I started in 99. So I came on board about nice. two months after, the, after BPI was formed, and uh was was uh i'd like to say i was recruited in or hired in but i really kind of just stalked my way in like i harassed our former president um to the point that i think he just i beat him into submission (laughs) yeah (laughs) give this kid a job that's right yeah so at at the time what were you guys doing what 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 does bpi stand for uh bpi stands for black powder products incorporated (laughs) yeah very very creative name uh, I think uh, the original owner of the company, who was a bean counter, a guy named Bob Hickey, I think he just wanted a name for the corporate documents and had no forethought or vision into what that might become. And so we realized very quickly that that was a mouthful and uh, we better do something about it. We yeah. still struggle with it. it. It's not a ideal situation, and uh, but it's not worth hitting well, the reset button on either. Well, you, you think about in terms of that. I know I had to did a new LLC for a project we're working on the other day and you know, it's like it. Our attorney is filing the paperwork and asks me what we want to name it. Yeah. 
So what happens? You think about it's Magpul. It's one of the hardest things, naming oh, something. Naming. It really is. Yeah. Oh, just the creative stuff is difficult, especially if you're not very creative. Well, and then you think, in a lot of cases, you may not know. You may have a general idea of where you want to go, but you don't really know where you're going to be in five or ten years. And no. to be able to plan that out in a name that is encompassing enough is is a challenge for sure. Yeah, yeah I think it is. I mean, it, it's rare. I, I wanted something ambiguous this time, like Q, because, you know, I just want to innovate and develop product, be happy, work with my friends. Um, so, like, I didn't know what we'd be doing in five or ten years, so just name it something generic. Doesn't mean anything that can be iconic, you know? It can be a logo and all that. Doesn't mean shit. But we could do sailboats or coat hangers or shoestrings or guns. Like, Easy to spell. Easy. Well... You'd be surprised. <laughs> yeah, and who would have thought Q.com was taken? I <laughs> know. <laughs> what a bummer. <laughs> All right, random question. Who owns Q.com? What what kind of products? I don't even know. I have no idea. Yeah, I just know it's taken. I don't think I've, I've ever gone to Q.com. You want to buy it? I'll sell it to you. You will. <laughs> 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 we can talk about it. I got $3. <laughs> the, um, okay, so Black, so at that time, what were you guys doing? You, you, or is it a company outside of the assets of CVA? Um, so, so CVA was, was only making muzzleloading rifles. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was a contract relationship. The gentleman that owned it from Atlanta, he actually, Oh, it's from Atlanta. He's from, well, it was originally from Connecticut. Okay. And he moved up to, yep. And he moved, uh, he was an old, uh, Arthur Anderson CPA, um, decided he didn't want to be a corporate, um, accountant, um, wanted to own a business, didn't really know much about it. Found this company somehow, decided to uh, buy him. Moved up to Connecticut. He spent one winter up here. <laughs> uh, I think his wife pretty much said, "Hey, Bob, I'm going back to Atlanta. You can do whatever you want to do." Yeah, I'd love for you to come with me. And he quickly did the math and realized that it was cheaper to move the company than it was to um, to to get rid of his wife. Yeah. So they moved it back down to Atlanta. It was just distribution, really. So that was a pretty easier transition. Yeah. And uh, and it was a contract relationship with a factory in Spain. Oh, so that was the deal. So Bagara, so um, so your parent company, pretty much for Bagara, the rifle company there in correct. Spain. That's correct. And um, okay, well now, okay, things are coming together for me. Okay, so they, so, go ahead. so basically, what happened is we we our BPI was formed, mm-hmm. um, bought the assets of CVA, and then after after it quit being a, a, a contract relationship, you know, we we quickly got together um, as a group and and did a typical SWOT analysis and talked about you know, where we were as a company, what the, the category, the market, all those sort of things that you typically do. And, and I think the, uh, the, the determination, well, first of all, when I came on board, um, the, the CVA brand was, was really, um, pretty low. I mean, it was at the bottom yeah. of the barrel. They had, oh. they'd had a product recall back in the, uh, nineties. Um, it had taken a toll on it. The, the, well, you guys the, are all about taking advantage of those companies with product recalls. Well, <laughs> I won't touch that one. <laughs> So, uh, but we, you know, the first couple of years were spent really hard just trying to, to improve the brand. And, you know, we, we, we slowly went through and tried to improve some of the, the product specifications. Yeah. Um, and it was a challenge because CVA was an entry-level brand. We couldn't go out and make a $500 muzzleloader and sell it at the time, which yeah. is really an inexpensive firearm in, in the grand scheme. Yeah. So it was a challenge for us. And we had to start very sl- small. 
Um, I remember when I interviewed for the company, um, I went into a local gun store down there, um, Adventure Outdoors, which I'm yeah, sure yeah. you're familiar. I went sure, in there and I wanted to learn a little bit more about the product. And I looked on the shelf and, and they had a, you know, like one or two CVAs. And of course, at the time, night was king of the mountain. Um, okay. And uh, TC wasn't even really that strong. It was really night. Really? Night was the, 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 the 800 pound gorilla back then. Yeah. And so I went in and asked one of the counter guys, and I'm like, hey, tell me about this CVA, because I was just kind of secret shopping them a little bit. And he's like, well, um, if you don't have more than $100 to spend on a muzzleloader, it's probably okay. And I'm like, wow, you know, that, that's great. You know, some, some challenges and, and also yeah. opportunities. And, but at the time, my wife and I were, um, we were, weren't even married at the time. We were living in an apartment. Um, I'd always wanted to be in the outdoor space. Um, I worked for a glass manufacturer at the time. I didn't care anything about you know, glass, there was no emotional connection to a piece of glass. And yeah, so, sure. and I told her, I'm like, Hey, this is what I want to do. I'm passionate about it. I've, I always love shooting and being outdoors. And I'm like, if, if we're going to take a risk, let's do it when we don't have kids. And that's right. Don't have man. kids and more. So, that's, I tell people all the time. And I'll tell you another thing. I get the question all the time about, Oh, how do you do it? You know, how do I get in the industry or whatever? And, and you know, probably, I don't know, you could answer that too, but I don't really have an answer. It's just, if you have an opportunity and you have a passion, like take the opportunity, you work hard and you're going to have other opportunities and you, you just start finding your way and you end up, you know, where you end up. I never, you know, I don't know when I was starting out, I, I didn't really want to own a gun company. I never thought about it. And it, it's just how it ends up. You keep working hard. You're interested in it. You have a passion for it. Right. Yeah. I, mean, I, I agree with you. It, it's, um, you know, timing is, is a lot to do with it. And I've, I've got a yeah. lot of friends that have said that you know that are in the the middle part of their careers and said hey i really would like to be in in that space and and i'm like uh, good luck you know you're not gonna come in it's hard even if you're a professional salesperson or a a ceo like like you adam or or you know any other position it's very you know it's a we're in a, a large industry but it also is small at the same time That's correct yeah and and there's a whole lot about just knowing who to call for what um you know how to how to talk how to walk where to what events to go to which ones to avoid you know just it there's a major learning curve for somebody to just pop in in the middle of it and i know that some big big corporations and we won't name names yeah. i'm sure you will but you, but, you know they'll pull in <laughs> executives from you know from uh appliance manufacturers or yeah. other industries and yeah. i'm sure that they look good at the numbers but at yeah, the end of the day remington did that a lot yeah they don't have a pulse on the market like like people that have been in it for 20 years like we no have. and I, I you know the problem i've seen with some of that now that you bring it up it's not that that's not valuable you know that you can't bring in people from outside the industry like i think i can learn and if i think if you're reasonably smart you realize you can learn from everyone you know, like I learned from our shipping and receiving guy. I can learn from someone who's the CEO of a, you know, a whatever hardware company, you name it. True. You can learn from everyone. Um, but you need people with the passion for the product and the understanding of the product. Mm -hmm. um, and I think we've seen failures a million times, you, you know, whether we talk about Remington or so, some of the foreign companies who I idolize, H&K. <laughs> is to me like the pinnacle of firearms manufacturing quality production design like they have been an incredible company but you know it's a foreign company they don't have the understanding of our market you know of the american gun culture the civilian side the military side and you know everywhere in between the law enforcement you know competitive shooting you name it they don't understand it 
So, you know, you make the best product. It doesn't translate. You could be the best accountant. Sure. You know, but uh, does that translate into being able to grow a business in our industry? Like, probably not. You got to have some people like you with the passion that going to drive through the hard times when shit's not easy and make the tough decisions. Because I know, you know, Adam and I probably wrestle with it all the time is making a decision. Like at the end of the day, somebody's got to make a decision. And, you, you know, being the CEO uh, uh, of your company, when you met, when things go good, you're a hero. And right. when something goes wrong, you're the biggest dumbass in the world. Mm-hmm. And shit rolls downhill. But oh, the blame, the blame rolls uphill. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. And I, I've lived both of those roles well. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you you bring that up about HK and and some of the European companies. I I will say this that there's a lot of uh, the, the first one that comes to mind are there's two or three optic manufacturers out there who oh. make fantastic products. Yeah. And one of the things that I think that, that they just can't get over is that they will not allow the U.S. entity to run it to, f- to focus on the U.S. market. I, th- and, I think and it's arrogant. They'll a lot dictate of times. What, what their marketing strategy is going to be, what they can and can't say. You know, all and I get that you've got to have, if you're a global brand, you've got to have some continuity there and some sure. consistency. But at the same time, I, I think that really, if I gave our, our parent company, um, credit for any one thing, it's for them understanding that the U.S. is not Spain, it's not Germany, it's not any other country. We are our own country with a whole bunch of quirks, and we speak our own code, and, and they've allowed us to, to, to go out and do that. And, well, it, and it's really been... It's something I want to get into because I'm fascinated by it because I've seen all the failures with H&K in Germany and H&K USA. I mean, H&K, <clears throat> excuse me, H&K and Colt should own the U.S. gun industry as far as I'm concerned. And both of them have failed. Like, At least once. Uh, great, I mean, great iconic brands. Oh, great brands, great products. And they just couldn't make the transit. But you guys, because I always think there's so many great European brands. Like I love Swarovski scopes and that's a good one. But, but yeah, how tied their hands are here with product development and chasing this market and understanding how much bigger the U.S. market is than all of Europe. Sure. And, you know, for me, I don't want to change a ton of stuff. I think Swarovski makes, like, the best hunting optics in the world. But there are some things that I would like to see in those optics. And when you talk to the people here, and they treat me great, uh, Swarovski in the U.S., they have so little authority or power. And I see the difference in your company, because your parent company now being Spanish, you know, the, the rifle company and what you guys have been able to do to attack the market in the U S and like, it's impressive, uh, the success that you guys have had, but you know, committing to it, working hard. And then, you know, it's nice when things work out, like Remington goes in the toilet. Didn't so, hurt. No, it didn't hurt. <laughs> well, what happens? Okay. So, so let's back up. So you're doing the black powder stuff. So that's mm-hmm. what you guys are doing. Correct. And you see, Oh shit. We're bottom of the barrel brand. How do we grow that? Now, how does that happen? And then how do you spread into other things that you guys have done, like uh, Vigar Rifles? Sure. Well, the um, I, I think that it, some of these were done in parallel. But but when we sat down and did, and I remember the time frame that we did it very well, and I remember a lot of discussions. But we, we really, uh, in layman's terms, to be politically incorrect, we quickly realized that we were um, – uh, you know, very irrelevant. We were making products that, that people bought only because they, that's all they could afford. Um, and we needed to make changes and, and we needed to do it 
quickly in order to, to grow our, our, our business. And so we, um, you know, it's, it's little things like, like improving, uh, the trigger pull on a gun, um, improving the ergonomics on a stock. But you know what, when you said that, my initial thought went to, it sucks to be in that position, but it's also great because if you swing the bat and you miss no big deal, but you have a great opportunity to make a huge impact. Like if, if you're that brand, why not risk and try, you, you know, anything to improve product? And if you're passionate about it, you can find a way because it's just like you can talk about your friends that are now middle age and you got a mortgage and you got the kids. It's really hard to make a transition. And right. I tell everyone that, um, you know, it was real easy for me, probably like you, you know, you and your woman living together in an apartment, you got no kids, you got no mortgage. It's the greatest time to take risk. Like if, anybody is listening to this and you're 18 to 25 or whatever it is, any age, you don't have a mortgage and you don't have kids take all the chances you can because it gets infinitely more difficult once you have those responsibilities. Exponentially with every passing year. I Uh, I totally agree with that. And again, you know, in retrospect, would I've wanted to go out and do it on my own? Probably, but I, I would have failed at it because I didn't have the knowledge then that I have now. So it's, it's, you know, it's, it's things work out for a reason. Yeah. Um, but, uh, so yeah, so we grew it. Um, you know, it, it, it was, so dirt. it's doing those minor tweaks. So it trigger was doing pull, those, ergonomics, and then it was things. getting dirt under our nails. Like we scrapped for every Ooh. sale that we could, we would get, you know, we were in front of our dealers all the time. We were helping to train, um, so, we were, so a big part of what you did to improve this was product education at the, at the dealer level. Correct. Um, we had, we had good sales reps who still do. Um, they were in front of the accounts. They, they opened the doors for us. And I think ultimately what, what helped us is that we, we earned their trust. Yeah. You know, our, the independent dealers have always been, uh, the, the key of our business. Yeah. doesn't mean that we don't do business with wholesale or with, with some of the, the larger chains, but at the end of the day, uh, that independent dealer was, was very critical and they gave us the chance to, uh, to help us grow. And they took a lot of them yeah. took risks on us. And, well, and if it, there were occasionally times that it didn't work out. Um, but we, you know, we hit, hard to hit a home run every time. Exactly. <laughs> one of the, one of the things that I remember that helped us a lot is, you know, we, all the muzzlers used to be, well, going way back, they were flint locks and side locks. Oh, and, yeah. But in terms of the modern inline, a lot of them were straight, what we call straight pull, um, where the ignition system was right in line, you know, yeah. with the powder column. And, um, and, and I remember that Thompson center had a, uh, the encore, the encore was like the, the pinnacle. And at, at the time we were looking at it and realizing that, that because muzzleloaders are not defined as a firearm by the ATF, you can ship them through the mail. And we were talking with Bass Pro and Cabela's who at the time had very major catalog business. Yeah. And, you know, we just kind of had this realization that if we could make a muzzleloader only that was not convertible to centerfire, then that was a product that they could sell through the internet, through these catalogs, and we could capture a lot of business there, especially with Midwestern um, locations where you have a lot of farmer or have a lot of muzzleloader, um, you know, good seasons out there. Yeah, well, for those that may be watching that don't hunt, because, you know, our industry now, we have a lot of young folks that are in the guns. True. Um, so, so with... Um, you know, black powder muzzle odor. Typically with uh, deer season in particular, you, you get extra time. You get to hunt before you can with a rifle and sometimes even after you can with a rifle during deer season. So you get an advantage. In some of the states, especially the Midwest, you're not allowed to hunt with rifles. 
or certain rifles. Right. So, um, yeah, so muzzle loaders are way more important in those areas than some others. True. So... So that was when we first came out with the uh, with the break action muzzleloader that was not a firearm. That would that was what really what you know our business literally doubled overnight. Really, and and it, it I mean I, we just the orders came in we couldn't build them fast enough. So it was one exciting. of those just and and I remember our our CEO at the time he looked at me and he said Nate enjoy this because you're never going to see this again in your career. And I'm like, asshole. I'm like, yeah, dude, don't don't bust my bubble. You know? <laughs> yeah, it's but all um, downhill from here. So. Yeah. Well, but, I mean, you won't if you sit on your ass. That, that's true. Uh, so, I mean, but man, I mean, I don't know. To me, it's inspiring, and I love hearing it. Like, y- you have the opportunity, you put in the work, you got the passion, and you know, you see a category where you can't improve, you can't improve a product. You, you know, because I, I, I mean, I don't know how you are, but for me. You know, being the business leader, when things go well, you get a lot of credit, you know, whether it's me, you, Adam, whoever. Um, And like we said, when things don't go well, you get a lot of shit. You get get the blame. But, um, you know, I mean, the leader creates the culture and the enthusiasm that I think translates to the employees to where we can improve these things. Like, I'm not smart enough to invent hardly anything, but I'm smart enough to improve most things. Then you're and, smart enough to hire the right guys that you know can do that, that too, right? That is the most important thing, you know, hiring and uh, ha- having not micromanaging and having confidence in the guys that you hire. And from my standpoint, I always think from creative, whether it's marketing, you know, with Thomas or it's our engineers, the creative side of the business, hire the right guys and give them an opportunity to fucking fail. Don't beat them up over it. And be enthusiastic enough to inspire them to, you know, pick themselves up, dust themselves off when they screw up. And, hey, this is what we learned. We're going to do this next time. And, yeah, if somebody else is doing it, we can do it better. You know, I mean, for me, that's my job. It's like basically I'm just like the captain of the cheerleading team. Just helping them. Support yeah, them. I, I mean, that's all. I mean, I don't know. That's what I do. I don't know what you do at your place. I beat them up pretty much <laughs> every did? day. Yeah, that's probably no. Adam's <laughs> job. Yeah, you guys are CEOs. I was, gonna say, I was disagreeing with you there because, like, you know, you got to be hard on the guys that you, especially the ones you believe in, because, you know, they, they might fuck up. You're, they're not going to lose their job for it. But if they fuck up and you ignore them, that's probably not a good sign. Then you might as well just get rid of them. But you got to be yeah. hard on them. You got to give them a chance to improve. I, I, I think there's some value there. And yeah, I, mean, I think, and yeah. I think, you know, the guys that are generally the best are the guys that are going to beat themselves up more than you can. Yeah. And, yeah. and the guys that aren't going to, you know, make excuses, but you know, God dang it. You know, that they're pissed at themselves and they're just not going to take it lying down. We're going to get up and swing the bat again. I, th- I think I kind of have a pendulum of sorts and it's probably not a, the best business practice, but um, I, you know, there's, there's a sweet spot for me with, with our team and, and some of our leaders that, that just have their shit going on that they've got it right. I'll leave them alone, mm-hmm. you know, and then there's there's also a group that that I, I don't I think are underperforming and I'll and I'll ride them pretty hard sometimes mm-hmm. to a fault. Uh, and then to the point that you made, there's there's sometimes there's there's guys that that, you know, are, are kicking ass, but you also know they're capable of a little bit more. And, I, mm-hmm. and I'll push those guys, too. Um, but I, I think that uh, one of the things that I try to do a, a decent job at and I probably fail at it more times than not is kind of tailoring my approach on how how I work with somebody based on their personality. Yeah. You know, and I've got I've yeah. got two as an example, I've got two sons um that they're very different personalities 
And, you know, I can tell one of them to go, um, you know, take out the trash one way and tell the other one to do it completely different. One of them's going to get offended and, you know, one of them's not. Yeah. So it, it's just a tailoring that. And, and it's, yeah, having the kids. Yeah. yeah. My son, too. I could burn him with a cigarette and he would think he deserved it, probably. Yeah, you know, so I mean, it is different <laughs> yeah. approaches to like everybody. And, you know, and a lot of the people that are critical at our company, mm-hmm. you know, there's some you can tell they were babied by their mamas. And you got to, you know, you got to treat them with gloves. But, you know, there's others like, you, you know, you kick them in the nuts when they mess up and they're like, you're right. That yeah. was, we're not going to do that again. And they're they're really motivated by the failure to come back and prove themselves. And, you know, I probably relate to that the best. Um, but, man, it is I don't I don't ever want y'all's jobs. You were at them either one. Like, I'm done with it. That's uh, why I have my job. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. right. But it's like, yeah. I mean, you know, managing the people is the most difficult thing because, you know, your company is the people. You know, it's, it's the people that work for you. And um, just trying to manage that culture. And for us, and it's probably, you know, mirrored with you guys too right now, it's an exciting culture because, you know, we found our place in the industry. And you guys obviously have done the same thing. We're finding ours. I don't know if we found it yet. Well, you I hope know that's you're, always the case. You're, you're always home. doing it. Uh, I don't you're know. Home. I don't know. But, um, you know, it's a nice feeling. Like, everything's a milestone. You know, I think Adam and I in the last year or two, we realized, okay, well, we're not going to starve to death. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and uh, we, we've achieved this. And, you know, I, I think – you know, I want to create a brand and I want to create something long term. And, you know, I always hope all my employees have a great place to work where they're inspired every day. It doesn't feel like work that much. They love what they do. They're proud of our company and they can retire there. Like, that's my goal. You know, like my goal isn't like some of these guys you talked about earlier where you bring into a company and they're incentivized on an annual basis. And, and those annual goals or quarterly goals or whatever are, are very important. Um, and we've got to achieve those. But to me, like, I see where we're going. Like, I want to be the greatest firearms company in the history of the world. And that means something different to me than it probably does to you or it probably sure. does, uh, you know, the CEO of SIG or Ruger or w- whatever else. Um, but, you know, it's like nothing is ever quite enough. But I'm appreciating the journey, and I'm extremely proud uh, of our people and what we've created so far. And I'm sure you are, you should too. Be. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Well, and I've, I've got – I've always admired um, the way that you guys go to market and, and the fact that you're not afraid to take a product and completely, you know, just reinvent it. Not 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 – three percent different than you know product x or product y but but 80 90 100 percent different no oh. and and i think that that that's kind of a a very cool p- position and place to be in and well, thank and you. and you guys express that well i think i told you last night at dinner um the 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 mini fix like i didn't get it <laughs> you know i saw it on the website I'm <laughs> no like, one did i'm like what the hell is this thing you know i'm like I, I had a friend ask me about it 300 blackout pistol what the fuck yeah that's stupid <laughs> so, when you say it <laughs> um you know and then and then i went into uh, well to bullseye there in lawrenceville and oh, they, yeah. they had one on the shelf and i'm like hey can you know can i see it i'm like dang it i get it mm-hmm. you know it and it's it's one of those things that like it makes me want to just smack myself in the head i'm like why the hell aren't you know are and that's not our dna but at the same time it's like yeah i, I get it and, well and, thank you you know and at this point if i ever needed anything that's in any one of those categories you know i'm going to go to your website or i'm going to call you or text you uh-huh. or uh 
come stalk you at your house and, and, uh, <laughs> and get the hookup because oh, it's because uh, I'm drinking the Kool-Aid. I appreciate it. You, you know, it is an interesting thing because I, I think of what you guys have done and I love it because, you know, when Remington bought my company, I was a company dude. I recruited. I was into it. I wanted to make it not only the best military company, you know, vendor possible, but also I wanted to reinvent the commercial business. And they put confidence in me. They bought my company. They gave me a lot of authority. I recruited, hired, a we developing product that I was super proud of. And it just didn't work out. Um, so it's super exciting for me to see you guys like continue that no matter how bad they fucked it up. And our product, you know, it's difficult for me sometimes because I wrestle with things, you know. Um, you know, you and I are roughly from the same place and... You know, I didn't grow up with, with money and things like this, and I never thought about, like, money when I was young. But what I did think about was I don't want to work in a factory my whole life. Right. Or, like, my parents have a job you hate, but you have to do it to support your family. Like, that was my biggest fear and motivator right. probably. And I feel so fortunate every day. And, and I say it all the time, but the only two years out of 28 that I've ever worked was the second year after Remington bought my company and my second year at SIG. Every other year... I would have done for free if I could eat, you know, and I love it. I love what we do, but what it, it's caused me to do is become a product guy. And we, I think we could have taken an easier road. Like when you say something like the fix, like that was a huge risk. It was a financial risk to me. Sure. I funded it. I believed in it. And so did our team, but it was a big risk. Uh, I think we could have taken a lot of, uh, you know, different approaches that would have been easier and made more money. But I don't think it would have been as satisfying for me. And and there's nothing wrong with that. It's just me personally, you know, I'm more driven for the innovation and product development and the creative side than I am for the financial side. You know, earlier I said the U.S. market might not be ready for a straight pull. Oh. My, my feeling on that was perceived safety with that thing coming straight back at your face. That's maybe my ignorance or whatever it is but what's what are you guys taking well I, I think yours is with a blouser and i think yeah. you have that because that's actually been the case like i love blousers but if you want to go with 338 lapua or some of the big mm. cartridges that action is relatively delicate and it's not strong enough and some of those guys i think it was australia who adopted that gun in 338 and some of their dudes took the bolt in the face mm. so but you know this this fails you're not going to get it in the face it's contained within the stock and the receiver mm -hmm. what do you think about this i love are it you familiar with these yeah the well uh I'm, I'm familiar with it as a pws summit and i think it's now for vol quartzen if i'm mm -hmm. not mistaken right yep. so that's I correct. Don't know. Oh. um but I, I i like it you know and again it's uh you know kind of based on some european uh influence or flair and and I think that, that that's what I thought with the fix. Like I love straight pull, but I didn't think America was ready because we're not really exposed to it. And I was afraid because you know you can be too far ahead of time or too different. Yep. Even if it is like uh, in a practical application, the most efficient thing. Some you know you have to explain to people and timing's uh, important too. Yeah, America. You know, like Americans were married to Cutlass for a long time. Then you see the oh, I'm. All Chevy trucks are the best, no matter what. Thirty years later, it's totally different, and they're brand loyal. And I think that's a piece of the market where people get into it, and it's hard to explain to them, "Hey, mm -hmm. your granddad's seven hundred is old, and this is cooler and faster." Mm -hmm. Right. But but what are you saying about Europe? Well, so you know, the most of the countries over there, if not all, you you can't 
own a semi-automatic rifle. And so right. for them, they do a lot of driven hunts, you yeah. know, pigs and, and red deer. And, yeah, so and, for people that don't understand that, it's like basically you'll get in a position or oftentimes in a blind in um, predetermined positions and you'll get, uh, you know, stalkers or flushers, pe- people who will drive the animals. So they'll start maybe half mile from you walking through the woods in a line, pushing the animals past you. So yep. and you'll have like almost like pheasant hunting where you've got blockers and you got, and you got shooters and, yeah. uh, or, or, or drivers rather. Yeah. But yeah, so they're, they're pushing them and, and these animals are typically running, um, or trotting. And so you, you know, they, they've got to be able to get two or three shots off very quickly and, and the most efficient way to do that is to, to bring the bolt straight back to you, obviously, rather than having to go up and back. And, uh, and th- honestly, that's one of the conversations that we've had a lot of um, spirited dialogue, if you will, with our engineering team in Europe, because they see it and they, w- they want that. Um, but, but we've been very um, hesitant to, to, to bring that to be a, essentially a leader and bring that technology to the U.S. market. Yeah. And, and, and obviously, Savage did it. I'm yeah, very oh, curious that's to right. see they just brought one, yeah. how they're going to do with that. This is along that same spirit there. And, uh, you know, I, I think Savage, um, I haven't held one uh, yet, but I, but I, you know, I tip my hat to them for yeah. taking that risk. And, and um, you know, I, I, I'd like to see a rifle lighter than that. Yeah. Of course, I'm the pot calling the kettle black uh, when it comes to light rifles. Um, but. Uh, I think they've done a good job with that, and and it's 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 an area that's on our radar. Um, you know, I'm not I'm not going to sit here and tell you that we're going to have a rifle on the market in 2022. That's well, like well, that. What does the is parent there, company in Spain produce one already? That's what I was going to ask. Um, no, no, okay. no. We've we've got some um, some not even prototypes, if you will, but we've got some concept designs. Um, but again, it's we need in order to be able to justify it. We need the U.S. market to to be able to embrace it, and we just haven't felt like we're we're there yet either with our concept or with the U.S. market being ready for it. Savage was is a big step to help that. Um, yeah, Savage is a company I admire. Are yeah. they the first to have a straight pull in the commercial U.S. market? Uh, bl- blousers, you know. But I mean, they're here. They're European, yeah, con- European company. company. You know, yeah. and, and you know. PWS, PWS, they did this, and, and we've imported a lot of straight pulls. Browning has their little T bolt. That's right. So is the Savage one you're talking about a rimfire? No, no it's they're, do, yeah, they're okay. doing centerfire. And yeah. I think that's one of the the. If I had to categorize it, they're they're the first to make it a an affordable price point centerfire hunting oriented straight pull yeah, rifle. Yeah, their own their own action what because there's been some of the Russian stuff imported here and stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. I, what was it called? We can look it up. We'll put it on the screen now. It's, uh, it, it was a clever name. I don't yeah. recall. Do you? Mm-hmm. I don't, um, I, I don't really looking at it and I discussed it with the engineers. I'm not sure I agree with their approach and you know, easy for me to say. Um, and also w- with Blouser, you know, the Blouser sort of a collet system Mm-hmm. And it, it works for most of the cartridges, but it seems like what you were talking about with 338 and some of the, the Magnum cartridges, it's a weak action. Um, I don't know if I'd want to get behind a, a, a Magnum or a... <laughs> yeah. No, it's like a 50 BMG bullpup. I ain't putting my face where that explosion's nope. happening. Yeah. No. Um, but we'll see. I, I mean, hopefully it's a step in that direction because it, it, you're right. It is the natural progression of a manually operated gun 
And, like, and like, we're going to need that, I, you know, yeah. whether it's five years down the road or 10 years down the road. I mean, it's it's kind of inevitable that we're going to need more of that technology. And I think that there's kind of a... Oh, God, you're talking politics. No, I, I know that this is a no political... Uh, <laughs> no, it's, it's totally <laughs> fine, but I think you're right. Number one, it's you inevitable. You can say whatever you want. We'll just edit it out. It, okay. if, you <laughs> like, if you like bolt guns, it's a natural evolution of that. And unfortunately, through this bullshit politic, you know, this this political kind of witch hunt with firearms that we're going through, you know, maybe eventually they're going to be successful and we're not going to be able to have gas guns here, just like, you know, the nations in Europe that we left to form our own country because of all that bullshit and now how soon we are to forget. Amen. But, um, yeah, the gas guns, then that's going to be the, the next thing. I remember in the 94 crime bill when everybody thought the guns were going to get banned, DPMS, well, you weren't in the industry then, at the SHOT Show in 19... 19- 95 so january 95 dpms had a pump action ar-15 oh no kidding yeah and so that was in their booth and and that was with anticipation so randy luke the anticipation of the gas guns the you know the assault rifles the black rifles being banned manually operated whatever happened to it to get threw it in the garbage because it was you know they ban High cap mags, bayonet lugs, flash hiders, threaded barrels, and collapsible stocks. So we can still make some. They checked all the other boxes. Yeah. 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 Got it. Yeah. Well, I, I look forward to it. So straight pull is going to be great. It's better. And hopefully America is ready for it before politics force us into it. With that said, all right, you guys start doing these barrels in Spain. You come up with a great process. And then you decide you're going to compete with Remington. No. ish kind okay. of it, all right well, so it's a quick story so let me let me i'll back up here for a second and and start by saying that the first thing that we did is once we started our own barrel line is we realized that we had excess capacity yeah right then we started selling some of that excess capacity off to some other european manufacturers so so you guys um, sell to like most a lot some percentage of the european firearms manufacturers not 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 that many anymore we have oh, yeah. um we have a handful i'd say probably three or four customers in the european market is, we, is that because you guys are utilizing your own production now cor- correct oh, we okay. w- what we what's happened is we we sold that extra excess capacity um and then we started sucking of it some of it back up i mean obviously we're our, we're going to be our most important customer internally sure and as we as we determined that we could sell it and, and make a little bit of money on these uh, OEM accounts. Um, we expanded it, so we, we basically doubled the line. Um, and then we started selling some of that capacity over here. Um, we realized that... To uh, OEM. To OEM manufacturers. Okay, so yeah. other, you know, our, our Bagar barrels are on multiple other brands of firearms in the United States. Um, most of them, I'd like to believe, are... are you know, in that mid to upper price point uh, yeah. threshold because our, our barrels are not inexpensive in the way we manufacture them. Um, they're also very accurate and very consistent. And so it takes a it takes an OEM customer that, that that appreciates accuracy and is willing to pay a little bit more for it. We're not going to yeah, compete I with... I mean, the honing process is not simple and not cheap. No, yeah. it, it takes a long time. So what happened from there is that we wanted to, to really kind of showcase what we were capable of doing with the barrels and the most natural place to do that organically was to start a custom shop. Okay, so we hired uh, two guys from the, uh, I believe they call it the the precision weapons sector for the Marine Corps at Quantico. Okay. Uh, we yeah. went to a Brownells career fair up in uh, Montezuma, Iowa. Um, 
interesting place, none the least. But yeah. well, we went there and we uh, we we met a, a gentleman um, named Dan Hannes, um, and really uh, appreciated what he brought to the table. And and Dan was the at one point the chief weapons instructor there, and and uh, the Marine Corps. I don't know what the model is, but they basic they use a seven hundred. They blueprint a seven hundred rifle. Do you know that model name? Are we uh, talking about their latest uh, M40A7 yeah, or whatever sure. they got? Whatever that is. But it, they've always built their sniper rifles on the 700 platform. Yep. And so Dan and, and the guys that work with him in that, in that uh, unit uh, were very proficient at blueprinting uh, the 700 footprint. Um, so that for us was the, was the first step in it. And we, we were using, you had mentioned Stiller earlier. We were yep. using Stiller actions. They were, okay. they were, um, doing a variance marking for us and, and we were using their Stiller TAC 30 actions. Yeah. Great actions. Um, and, and we, you know, so we were building our rifles on that and we didn't care at the time if we built 10 rifles or a hundred rifles, yeah. what we wanted to make sure of is that whoever we built them for, that they were enamored with those rifles and they were the best damn custom. So, so the goal at the time was to build awesome custom rifles to show how badass your barrels are. Yes. Oh, Step number so one. I didn't know this. Yep. Okay, and so we, good game plan. I'm we, with you. We hired a couple of those guys from that PWS unit. They were all, you know, again, they all knew how to blueprint the rifles the same way. Uh, and then from there, that that allowed us to kind of learn a lot more about the bolt-action centerfire rifle because just because you know how to make a barrel blank, it doesn't mean that you know how to make an accurate rifle, right? Because you've got chambers, you've got threads, you've got torque specs, you've got all these other things that go yeah. into a rifle. And so we wanted to do it without just, you know, completely going gangbusters and realizing we built, you know, a whole bunch of rifles that don't perform right. Yeah. So we did that. Um, and then from there, we progressed into designing our two, you know, even though the Stiller action is a great action, there's a ton of custom builders that are using it, a ton of competitors that are using it. There yeah. were things about that action that we didn't particularly love, and we felt like we could do better. Uh, number one, making them for less money, but but more importantly is making them to where they were smoother. A lot of the, the, the my, my biggest personal beef with the Stiller action, uh, and I've, I've expressed this to him before, is that when you when you load on that bolt, right, if you're running it hard and you put a little bit of upward pressure on Ooh, it. tell me all about it. That Mine. bolt, you know, it, you'll get a lot of chatter in it. And so we're like, you shouldn't have that in a in a $1,000, you know, retail custom action. Um, and so our engineers set out and we designed, we wanted to design two different price points. We designed our B14 action, which we're building in Spain. Um, just a standard two lug, you know, it's really kind of more of what it's not a 700 clone, but it's a 700 footprint. And then we designed in the, in the, for the United States that, that we're building here, our premier action, which has a few more bells and whistles on it. It's got a floating bolt head and a non-rotating gas shield and a few, and it's stainless okay. steel. And so, so we had a, some of the advantage that savage put into their rifles yes yeah, the, exactly the bolt head yes smart. Yep. and so and then we what we try to do is use more premium american kind of oriented components over here stocks like ag manufacturing um you know we use a little bit from graybo a couple of different chassis manufacturers which by the way we should have a conversation um trigger tech triggers you know premium premium products that we can uh that we can um you know help to to showcase the the products yeah. and so we've got the the b14 which will fill up a, a price point from the you know, let's call it eight hundred dollar to. to Was well, that where you started with when you started doing full guns, or did you start both? They were time? they. We started working Apparel. on both at the same time. I believe we introduced the B fourteen slightly before the premier rifle. Okay, Is that right? so, so so you have um, rifles that are made in Spain and imported Correct. and sold, and and that's uh, 
more of a, an entry level for Bagara. And, and then you, you have uh, sort of, what would you call it? Your, Our premier series. The premier series. Yeah. Again, has very, all this stuff. very so the creative B, with the naming. The B14 ah, is $800-ish, and then the premier is... The, the B14 starts at about 800 That's yeah. our entry-level uh, price point for okay, us. Okay, with that, yeah. who are you trying to compete with with that gun? Like, originally when the discussions start, who, who, who are you after? Well, we were what we, what we wanted to do was to convince uh, a Remington 700 customer that they could spend a little bit more money and get a lot more rifle. That, that was because we weren't exactly in the 700 uh, space neatly. It, there was a little bit of overlap yeah. there, right? But, um, but it, there was a little bit of that. Um, so, and we had some of our customers and some of our buyers say, hey, look, you're going into no man's land. Nobody wants to pay $800 for a bolt-action rifle. You those, either need to be... Those non-creative <laughs> yeah. buyers, it's like, hey, maybe, maybe we can create a niche that uh, isn't out there and we have no competition. That's right. So, you know, they they were obviously going, hey, you need either to be a two ninety nine or three ninety nine or four ninety nine. dollars You can't be over four ninety nine. If you do, you might as well go to 1000 or 1200 or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, and we just didn't believe that. Yeah, we, I, we, I don't believe that because so, I, I don't want to get in that bottom of the barrel. Price no, point, it's so. not. We can't do it. We're not. That's not who we are. Yeah. So um, and, and we wanted to have, you know, more bells and whistles and, and, and better performance and better service. And I mean, everything about it, if you look at again, it, we didn't look at the Remington model and say, hey, they've screwed X, Y and Z up and that we can we can do it better. We, we did look at, at some of their weaknesses and say that's an opportunity. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, you know, there's, there's business from, uh, Tika, um, yeah, you Tika, know, a little I mean, bit of what, I mean, great I, product. I love the Tika rifles, great product, great value. I have, I have mad, uh, you know, street cred for those guys. I mean, they, they give them a lot of props. Yeah. They, they make a very, a very solid rifle. Um, it, it, you know, again, and I'm not, hopefully they're not listening. Um, <laughs> I mean, hopefully they are, they are. I mean, it's, it's respect to them. They, if they great are company, great product, the guys over in Europe need to need to turn over marketing to the U S and let them run it like an American company. And if they yeah. are, they would be dangerous. Well, we talked about it earlier in the podcast. I mean, that's the problem with a lot of the European right. companies. I mean, Tika builds a phenomenal gun, but you're right. I mean, not only marketing, but sometimes with aspects of the product, the European usage or philosophy on the firearms is sometimes a little left of what we're doing. That's right. And, and you know, we got a big gun culture here. What, what do you, um, what do you guys do better than Tika? Well, um, I'd like to think our barrels are better. I think our guns are more accurate. Um, you know, I'd be willing to bet my mortgage on if you took ten rifles of us out and uh, ten Bagar rifles out and ten Tikas out. Um, I'd put my money down that that we're going to be of those ten rifles. We're going to be more accurate across the board, yeah. and ultimately that's that's lot. what. And then the other thing that I think that we do better, um, and this is arguable, right? But I think that because we based our our rifle on the seven hundred footprint, it was very strategic for us. It was one of the most uh, widely produced actions yeah, like in the, the world. Jeep or Harley Davidson. Yeah, it's you like got there's all the accessories, tons of or, or like an AR. Like yeah. there's an infinite number of aftermarket components because. Yeah, I've got a Tika rifle that I love, but it is kind of a pain in the ass. Accessory-wise, it's difficult to do the things I want to do with it, although I love the action, I love the gun. Yeah. Who makes an aftermarket stock for that Tika? Yeah, you tell me. I don't know. I mean, I'm sure that there are some. I mean, there are some, but the kind that I want, because, you know, most of my guns are utility guns. I'm not shooting, uh, you know, I'm not shooting from the bench all the time. I'm not shooting PRS. Right. Like, I use my guns, and, and so in a practical sense... 
there are not a lot of options. So and, my and tika has got the plastic stock still on. And that was a very uh, purposeful um, strategy for us was to make ours compatible with those aftermarket. It, we felt uh, like it would I give the buyer smart. a little bit more, it's almost like an insurance policy. If they didn't like our stock, mm-hmm. okay, good. Look, go get a manners or a whatever see, to fit See, I, I like it. And I think I would have made the same choice as you. I want to I believe because now that you've been successful with this, I want to say that I would have done the same thing. But, you know, like I don't like the 90-degree throw on a two-lug like a Remington as much as I like a Tika with a 60-degree. But I like all the options from a chassis, from a stock, from a scope mount, all the things, the triggers. Like where do you get a Tika trigger? That's right. You want to change it. Um, You know, and the options like I use Jewel. You mentioned Trigger Tech. I would probably use them. They came out later, though. But I've got, you know, 15 options for just a trigger for my Remington 700. So some of the things that I view – as um a compromise with the 700 you know you, you got to balance it and like you said you have all these other accessories and aftermarket products it, it you know it's just like I've, I've got a jeep in georgia that i use in the mountains at my place and it's not my favorite off-road vehicle but it's affordable and there is an aftermarket yep. accessory 20 for every single part of that vehicle anything you break there's there's options readily available and, and there's a lot to be said for that um and since it's the Q podcast, we can talk about the side check chassis. Yeah, so that's yeah. you know, so that was exciting. Like I said earlier, with your twenty two barreled actions, and how cool that I can buy a barreled action from you guys. Is that a standard product, Jose? Yeah. Yep. So I, I got two barreled actions. I didn't have to buy your stock because I didn't want your stock. No offense. It's just they were going to go in our side check. Well, and the fact that you 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 know went with a seven hundred footprint, and, and arguably, yeah, you could make minor tweaks to it that make it better. But then you know you're throwing out maybe 75, 90% of the accessories that you would have. The thing dropped right into our chassis, and I've got an awesome gun that is similar to the fix ergonomically that I can use that I don't have to do any modifications to. And I don't know, do you know, Jose, or, well, maybe you know, Nate, what's uh, like MSRP on this 22 bolt? What's it called, first of all? 22 bolt gun. The B14R. B14R. The R for rimfire. Uh, so B14 is because it's based on our B14 action um, loosely. Okay, and that uses, um, that's a 700 action, so it uses uh, AI, AI magazine mm-hmm. uh, footprint, we'll call Correct. it. Correct, AICS footprint. Uh, yeah, the mags are great. Yeah, so I got a bunch of those. They they were affordable. But what's MSRP on the, the gun or the barreled action? Do we know? Yeah, oh, ballpark? okay, so barreled action, about 650 and then the rifle is street prices right around a grand, depending on whether it's a steel barrel or the or the um, carbon fiber. Okay, so for six fifty, we get that. Um, magazines, I think, were around twenty five, thirty bucks. And I'm pretty sure you get a mag one magazine with it. Most guys yeah. are will buy two or three more. Yeah. Well, was the six fifty for the standard version or the carbon fiber barrel? It's the hundred more for carbon fiber. Hundred more for carbon yep. fiber. Okay. Yeah. So Worth thread it. threaded barrel from the factory. So half twenty eight. So mm-hmm. it takes twenty two silencers. Um, the trigger's phenomenal in that thing. Big bolt handle. And so I end up, you know, at whatever, fifteen hundred, two grand in um a twenty two that is a great trainer for me. You know, it's it's so weird that and I say it all the time. Americans think you gotta pay three hundred dollars for a twenty two. And almost all of our twenty twos, like you keep them forever. You shoot them all the time. Right. But in Europe and most of the countries where you can only own a few guns, 
you know, 22s are expensive because they put a ton of effort and energy into them. The guns are phenomenal. It's not just a commodity. You got to make it count because you can only own so many. Yeah, you can only own two or three guns typically. And um, the European 22s are so nice. And, and so for me, you know, you'd say, oh, two grand for a 22 and people, you know, poo poo on that maybe. I don't know. I'm with you. But. <laughs> But, you know, like what AR-15 with an optic and accessories do you not have two grand in? And most of us have now four or five AR-15s. Mm-hmm. Like right. it's stupid. Mm-hmm. Have nice 22s. We've got a, uh, a little brother uh, of the B-14R that's coming I didn't even know out. that until yeah. this morning. Jose told me. So you, you've yeah. got like a, uh, what would you do? Scale it down for just the size of a 22 with the action? We're going to call it the mini fit. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> seat's taken. <laughs> All right, Christine, we need general counsel on this. We're going to bust Nate's ass. Well, before we get into the new product real quick, I just want to say I really appreciate you guys doing standard footprint on that top and bottom because it uses our top rail. Yeah, yeah. top rail, standard of, Remington scope mounts. Yeah, we get a lot of grief from our high-end customers with these custom actions where they can't use the side check because the top or the diameters are different or this or that. And like that wasn't the objective. So we were on the same page as far as standard 700 footprint there's so many of them out there. Yes. There's so many accessories. And Twelve and a half we million. Well, and we yeah. get a we get a lot of guys that are shooting, um, you know, PRS competition or even just just long, and they're 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 tricking these things out, man. Yeah. You know, they'll start with a thousand dollar barreled action on a center fire, mm-hmm. and then they're gonna, you know, they're gonna drop well, another fifteen hundred dollars in widgets. Yeah. On well, them. most of us getting into something, you know, you want to dip your toes in the shallow end and see. So you could start with your basic seven hundred and you start upgrading it and upgrading it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I see what you're saying because yeah. for me, being able to put, you know, whether it's our mount or any scope mount or the tally direct rings on yours, mm-hmm. which are seven hundred footprint, yep. those are awesome. So then you don't have to have a mount and rings. You have a one piece thing yeah. or the dead nuts, whatever they're called. You know, there, there's just a lot of great stuff. So you're right. Not only the bottom of the action, but yeah. the top, top of the two. action yeah. where you, you have, you know, infinite mounting options. Mm-hmm. I, I appreciate that. Myself. Yeah, that was a good yeah. call. Yeah. And again, that, we did that just for you guys. Well, thank, thank you. you. Thank yep. you. Thank um, you. We get a lot of that. No, it really, it, it, it some of that comes down to our, our history at, at, at work in retail. The last thing, you know, we want to do is have a rifle that some guy's like, yeah, I want to buy that. Well, I mean, I want you to mount my scope on it today. I'm yeah. going to shoot it tonight. What, what do you mean you don't have scope mounts for it? What do you mean it's proprietary? Well, I want a, I want a scallop, you know, rail. I mean, or, we all see when you're relying on vendors or other companies, like it can be an Achilles. I mean, Adam and I have learned a lot the hard way. You know, at Advanced Armament, we made some guns. And at SIG, we made guns. It was a big company. You know, uh, there was a lot going on there. There's tons of purchasing, tons of resource with manufacturing. But starting our company with Q, Starting out with firearms, you know, where with silencers, we have five unique parts. Well, with our guns, we have 117 unique parts. Mm-hmm. Wow, it's a different thing. So so not having to rely on vendors where you have all that stuff readily available for 50 years of common use. Yeah. Yep. I like it because, you know, for the average guy, how much is changing the scope mount? Or, you know, sure, I think the 700 should have larger screws like the... Uh, the M24 rifles for the military. They always the had. 840s. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and we put those on our Premier Action. That was, again, that's <laughs> some Premier. of the small things that we do to, yeah. to go, yeah. all right, well, they need beefier screws. They're going to be run harder than your typical, you know, Yeah, if you're level. starting from zero, it's a better option, but you're also pigeonholing yourself. So the Premier Actions, so these are the Premier rifles that you do. So at what price point are we talking there? 
Um, I believe they start around fifteen hundred and they go up to to the low twos. Just cheap. Um, yeah, they're they're still not I mean, expensive. It's we we make the action in Georgia. We we bring the barrel blank in from from Spain. Yeah. Um, but then we do. Oh, all you guys machine. are doing the profiling chambering. We do the there. profiling chambering. Um, uh, you know all the we we only Cerakote those rifles right now. Uh, we got a got a Jose. dude here that uh, is like the the Cerakote. Um, you know the master oh yeah uh, so, so he's here so he works for you jose was one of my favorite co-workers at advanced armament and he did cerakote for us and, and and for those who have seen my uh my baby that sweet fix that is a blue and gold and leopard so my buddy jose painted my hand garden stock for me gold my favorite i appreciate you well he's moved on to bigger and better things now but he still consults with us and uh so at any rate stay but tuned yeah, so for the, the next episode the, <laughs> the premier rifle is you know again we try to put more bells and whistles into it um they, they're a little bit more specific like we have a mountain rifle that that's you know we're, we're trying to get light on and and we're not under the six pound threshold but we're flirting with it uh, six carbon pounds fiber you stock. got a 308 man that's you better hold on to that thing when you shoot it we're we're getting there though um well, well let me ask you this okay. okay so you know it's a premier your premier rifles so 1500 to 2200 we'll call it but you know you think about what year you think you bought your first ar-15 about 10 years ago Maybe a little bit longer than that. It it, it hadn't been that long. No, so that's not that long. No. So so well, I'll put some it things in 12. perspective. So twenty twenty five years ago, AR fifteen was six hundred dollars for a Colt or a Bushmaster. There's only like three companies that made them Olympic arms, and they were shit. But Bushmaster was considered good, and Colt was. They were six seven hundred bucks. And now, like a good quality AR fifteen, Adam, you're real into this. Mm-hmm. If you don't apologize, yeah. you're the boss. So so if if you go to White Birch or any of yeah. our gun stores, that's who I was just texting. Oh, yeah, that's funny. <laughs> so if you go to any of those guys and you're going to buy a good quality AR-15, mm-hmm. let's say you got a buddy that makes a couple hundred grand a year, he's balling. Mm-hmm. He wants his first AR-15. Mm-hmm. What are you going to tell him to get? A honey badger, obviously. Yeah, it's not a honey AR-15. <laughs> no, but but, no. but you know, but no, what what know. would I he mean, pay for an AR-15? Like if it's got a good trigger hand guard, like all the shit on it, at least fifteen hundred bucks. I was gonna say two. Yeah, so yeah, I, yeah. I'm I'm thinking like you talk fifteen hundred to twenty two hundred mm-hmm. for. I mean, there's still not a lot of AR-15s out there with unique triggers or anything like that. It's all the same. No. It's just different right. branding. Yeah, but I mean, I think that's an incredible price point and value for people if they're getting a custom action. You're putting trigger tech triggers in these. Putting trigger tech, what they call their primary triggers in and there, which what is what stocks come freaking, on these. Uh, you know, it, it it some of them are chassis, some of them are are carbon hand laid carbon fiber stocks. Um, mm-hmm. I ain't doing a hand laid carbon fiber stock for less than a grand. You want one? I'm saying it. Well, yeah, I'd love to have one, but I'm <laughs> saying if I'm making the stock, yeah. it's costing you a grand. Oh, right? absolutely. Yeah, those things are are labor intensive, materials expensive. But um, you know, but an AR-15, these fifteen hundred dollar guns, these are just people primarily buying parts and assembling guns. Yeah, I mean, they buy a lot of people buy you know the cheaper ones because they have every intention of upgrading it with the aftermarket parts of it. That's right. You know, so. and and how many of them never do? Oh, I mean, some of them, some of them are perpetually changing their. Yeah, I was going to say, are you doing? You got three grand a gun. So yeah. what I'm telling you is, pull your head out of your ass, people. Mm-hmm. Fifteen hundred to twenty two hundred dollars for this Premier Bolt Act with an mm-hmm. action that's made in America. You get aftermarket triggers that you're not going to want to replace. Hand laid carbon fiber stock. Yeah, it's a value. Buy once, cry once. I do, right? do want to. If we got 
30 seconds for me to we give you kind of day, a shameless man. pitch here. We do have a That's new uh, cool series that we're about to drop. Actually, I don't know when this podcast will, will hit, but it's a really cool, um, you know, I, I think I'm hearing maybe sometime toward, in April. Toward the la- um, third week of April. It, yeah. It'll be on or about the time that people are listening to this podcast. We've got a new series. Um, I know we've, we've there's a little bit of bourbon around here, and we're we're calling it our small batch series. Oh, that's and awesome. so and the 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 concept of it Southern is Southern Heritage <laughs> to do exactly to do some uh, some small runs of things that that don't have what we would consider evergreen life. You know, where you're not going to put it in the catalog and get ten years out of it, mm-hmm. or that you're not going to sell you know fifteen hundred of a year. We're, we'll do anywhere from two to three to four hundred units of a of a model, and it's one and done customized unique we oh, might do something awesome. like a folding stock we might do a carbon fiber barrel one day um just you know something that's very unique we might put a little bit of edginess into it um it's kind of like our little alter ego if you will yeah i'm um, living a little bit of the you know q life there um <laughs> la vida loca that's right <laughs> ricky martin um, well, but, but i'm however you hear me <laughs> kind of uh excited to see some of that stuff because it we've been had some guys that are asking for it and and uh and I think it'll serve a nice little niche. And those are going to be a little bit more expensive, but at the time you're you're going to be you're going to pay for what you get, and you're going to have something that's essentially custom built, um, and, and it'll be very unique. So I, I love it. Yeah. You know, it's like testing the water, staying relevant, doing new things. But you know, that's also um, a great thing about being in the position you guys are in. You know, you're not savage, and with all due respect to them, you know, you're not trying to compete on commodities or a budget brand. And you're not trying to be $6,000 custom guns. But when you, you can get in that space and you guys have built a brand where you've got trust um, and loyalty and you're making a name for yourselves. It's based on quality and performance. You're able to do these sorts of things. And, you know, bigger companies, I mean, Adam can tell you from being at SIG or, you know, me being at Remington, you want to do 500 or 1,000 of something. Oh, my God. Yeah. You know, it's like flushing a million dollars down right. the toilet. And for us, it, it may not necessarily be a moneymaker, but it helps us build the brand and helps us to build loyalty. And the Ford and, uh, Raptor. And I think that that's worth um, a lot more than what money can measure. Yeah, I mean, I always say that. The Ford Raptor, like showing, you know, it's just kind of a lost leader, but we're going to show what we're putting what into R&D of. and what right. we're capable of and what this can be if you want it to be. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. So yeah. we let you have your shameless plug. I want to throw ours in real quick. And then I want to circle back to the 22 short gun you were oh, talking about. Yeah, I, I interrupted that and we're way off course from that. Yeah, but, I'm all about that. So this is going to air today. If you're watching is April 23rd, I think. And so that means there's seven, in Africa. seven days left uh, for the mystery shirt. Mystery shirt. Oh, yep. so we got a great mystery shirt. Um, do so tell. have you heard of our mystery shirt? I have not. So this is our sixth one in five years. So we need to do more. <laughs> no, <laughs> get off your ass, <laughs> Thomas. Speaking of limited run stuff, um, which is what reminded me of it, other than Tommy texting me about this. Um, Thomas. We do a mystery shirt and you buy a shirt. You don't know what it's going to be. And it's, it's going to be the same shirt for everybody. But if they buy this, they're entered into a chance to win a product of their choice. Well, Adam, Adam's wearing a, a oh, yeah. pass one now. So this was the last mystery shirt we did. It's a little army guy kick-flipping his base with a honey badger. Yeah. Kind of cool. I like it. Where would a guy like me go to? Do I go to the website? And, cause yeah, I'm, so I'm, it's on the homepage, livecuredie.com. You just go there, click on it, buy your size, buy a size for your kids, your wives, whatever it's going to be. You can buy more. The more you buy, the more entries you get to win this Um Try not to make it sound like a raffle. It kind of sounds like one. Will it's it be? A, it's a giveaway. Not a raffle. Giveaway. Yeah. Will it be pink? 
Well, you don't know. You don't know. Oh, it's a mystery. Come on. Do you want a pink one? Uh, well, uh, <laughs> no, but if it, if it is, I'll, I'll give it to Jose. It's it, okay. It will be. It's going to be kid-friendly, All right. which is cool, and it's going to be a design, hopefully, that they can the kids can actually wear it to school without getting thrown out or having their shirt be put inside out. Yeah, sometimes um, that's not the case. But yeah, you never know. sometimes not. And if there's a kid size available, it's kid-friendly. Perfect. We'll say that. Yeah, because apparel is an interesting one. You know, yeah. like it started back at Advanced Armament with me, and like you know, you got the Bagara vest on, and that's cool. And when when Advanced Armament, I wasn't doing shirts, and people wanted shirts, and I felt like if I was selling you a shirt, I felt bad if it just said our name. Like it would have to be something that I would want to wear. And I put a lot of effort back in the day at Advanced Armament of doing shirts that were cool, like skateboard shirts and stuff I was into, things that I would buy. And I kind of feel that way now. It's like we have some standard shirts, just mm-hmm. a queue or whatever. But, uh, you know, I want to offer a lot of stuff that's interesting, and it's not too overtly gun stuff. And yeah. it doesn't say Q all over it. Um, you know, it's just kind of it's, – it's like Elon Musk said, you know, you're not – when you buy a Tesla, you're not just like buying a car, but you know you're buying into this like tribe. Mm-hmm. Sort of. You're a member of the family. Yeah, yeah. And, well, and that's what we're trying to do with it. I like it, and you know the one thing I've learned uh, just in my limited exposure to it is that it's not a one size fits all model with with apparel. I mean, like mm-hmm. somebody likes yeah. a tie dyed, um, you know, rainbow colored uh, <laughs> honey badger, and you know some don't. I feel like I, I feel like you're not <laughs> but, the guy. Yeah. You well, know, but it, look. You know, people, structured hats, unstructured yeah, hats. Sure. It's, you can go on all day long. But uh, the, the cool true. thing is, especially in a market like we're in right now, where we're we're, we're both at max capacity plus, we're not gonna we're not gonna add any revenue to our business or build our brand by by adding any more guns. So so why not give them some yeah. some swag that they can go you know pimp it, and be proud of the brand yeah, that, some, that they shoot. Some guys either aren't old enough or can't afford our products or whatever, but they can participate in, 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 yeah. until they are at that point to purchase our you, you know our hard goods, but you know it was the idea with the shirt. It's like, oh, cuz I'm not always like pro having a gun and stuff on your shirt. And, and and it's 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 just not my style. It's I mean obviously I'm into guns. Um but so I love the irony of this one where we put like a rainbow flag <laughs> kind of under it and then it confuses people. And you take it a step um, further, like we basically had, we, we get a lot of gifts. And I think, you know, Adam and myself and the company putting ourselves out there on social media, you know, I answer ton of tons of questions, dozens and dozens and dozens, if not a hundred a day on social media myself. And we get lots of gifts. It's like if people want something from our company, it's something we can do, but I don't really want to do it. It's like, okay, well, you send us a pallet of beer, I'll do it, you know? And just random shit like that. And, and, and people get engaged and they want to do it and they do it. And so then we're, our feet are held to the fire and we do it. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so a customer bought one of our shirts and got it and tie dyed it and sent it back to me as a gift. Nice. Yeah. And I was like, you know, if you had said that to me, be like, whatever. I saw the shirt. I was like, that's fucking awesome. And I wore the shirt, and then we just started doing them at the office. We got a laundry room at the facility, and I noticed that. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, um, yeah. So one of the guys, um, so uh, Ivanka 
bought me like a tie-dyed kit, took it to the office, and they started doing these tie-dyed shirts. I'm like, oh, I love it. Then also, you know, I go to Africa next week. Well, it's camouflage. It's You're already camo, there, and it's going to be summer, so I'm going to be <laughs> hot as hell. And I've got camoed shirts now that represent our brand for the hunting show, you yeah. know, with Field Ethos. And, so of course, Matt cool. has experienced tie-dying shirts. Like. <laughs> Fucking hippie. <laughs> What's he yeah. from Vermont? Yeah, all right. Q camo. Yeah. yeah. Right here. Hey, well, anyways, to wrap it up, mystery shirt at the end of the month, uh, you got six or seven days to to go buy it. The more you buy, the better chances of winning. Might win a silencer, maybe a honey badger, maybe fix, maybe both. It might be that exact thing right behind whoa, you. Whoa, 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 whoa. I'm Slow giving down. away Kevin's guns. <laughs> no, you are not. <laughs> if Nate gives you another one, you can yeah. build one. Oh, maybe we'll talk. That one's mine. Okay. So I got some questions for you. Well, first, All right. let's what, finish up the got? short 22. I wanna oh, know, short I 22. Know about oh, that. forgot about that. Yeah. Okay. All right. So so you guys had success with this 700-footprint <laughs> thing. We'll get big, there eventually. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> so... You know, and again, this is part of our strategy. Typically, when we enter any categories, we don't want to have one model, right? You don't want to hang out like dog's balls or whatever you want to call it. You know? <laughs> I've not we, heard this, but please elaborate. We, we, no, you know, we, tell us the 22. We, we want, um, you know, multiple platforms. And so it started with a semi-auto. Then we went to the trainer full size. And then and then the last. Yeah, uh, you guys have a 22, uh, the 1022 gun. Correct. Oh, yeah, it, sorry, you know, what's it called? It, it's called the BXR. BXR. So it was originally you were going to do a toggle. Correct. And we actually were working with uh, PWS on it, and you know we, but we wanted it to be different. We got to the end of it, and I'll I'll, I'll keep it really short and simple here. We didn't like the finished product, yeah. and and rather than f- pushing it to market and realizing that it it would not be what we wanted it to be, um, we pivoted and we said you know let's make lemonade out of um, out of lemons, and and we converted it to a to a sim auto rimfire that was already based on. Um, the 1022 footprint, so you can take 1022 magazines, 1022 trigger packs. Our barrel's a little bit different. Than I love up. it. I don't like the 1022 mags though. Uh, they they're they're a pain. They're yeah. they're they're miserable. Yeah, they're rotary mags, but but the guns are awesome. Yeah. So you guys have had some success with that. We have. It's so, um still going. And so the and we learned a little bit. So the BMR is basically uh it's called Bogara Micro Rimfire. Again, we're super creative with our naming system there. Yeah. But it's yeah. it's you can hopefully at least remember it. And, and it's like the little brother. We, we took some things that we didn't like about the BXR. We took some things that we did like about the B14R. Yeah, and the we long them stroke. A, when you got a rim fire, the long stroke sucks. Yeah. So it's a it's a kind of a more of a traditional sized um, rim fire. So um, something scaled down for it's, 22. It's scaled down. That's right. And, yeah, you know, like you're it. in that, I don't know, five and a quarter pound range mm-hmm. with the carbon fiber version, short barrel, thinner, uh, thinner profile, um, stills threaded. Uh, you use 700 of, triggers? It, it does still take a 700 trigger. That's pretty um, great. You can get some great trigger options. Shorter that. stroke on the action and, and a lot of uh, a lighter weight. And it comes with two mags. It comes with a 10-round mag and a 5-round mag. Yeah. Still, so the, if you're gonna still hunt, a bolt action? Still a bolt action. Okay. Yep. yep. Still a traditional bolt in the yeah. sense of what is most people Is it a 90-degree throw? Or is it? Um, I believe that it's, uh, I it, it's, I Put think it's a 60. I like that better. Mm-hmm. Um, I like I, that, like. 30% better. And I might be wrong. I'm going to have to go home and do my homework. But well, uh, I mean, yeah, I set you up there. But, um, okay. I'm was, all in. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. cool. A, a 22, do we know what this is going to sell for? About 600 bucks. 500 nice. for the steel and 600 for the uh, for the, for the the carbon fiber. Mm-hmm. I'm in. So I'm with you. I'm in. Um, did well, you say release date? Uh, we'll be you, shipping do them that? in probably the month of May. Ooh. Yeah. So, so mm-hmm. very, very soon. Jose, can you talk to somebody in sales, get me a couple of these? Need some threaded barrels. All right. What if a mystery shirt winner asked for one? Sure. 
Oh, here we go. All right. It's yeah, all right. Oh, I like this. <laughs> now it doesn't cost us yeah. anything other than it's perfect. Okay. Well, that's pretty cool. We got some questions though. Yeah. 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 Let, let's let's start with these. Oh, this is an easy <clears> one. <throat> let's see if you get it right. Remington or Tika? Oh, uh, we got Tika. <laughs> oh, batting a thousand, batting a thousand. All right. I bought a Remington. No, no offense to my former Remington friends or no, buddies. No, no, they, they, they're, they're fucking okay. great. I bought, right. a, I bought a Remington yesterday. <laughs> so, Jose, is he the best BPI employee? Oh, who wrote these? Jose. <laughs> he had nothing to do with it. He's one of. Okay, great answer. Of. Great answer. That's we'll good. take that because you guys got a lot of employees. Yes. With that being said, um, how about a raise from my man, Jose? Can we get that worked in there? <laughs> 100%. Oh, uh-huh. you heard 100%. it here. That's a huge raise. I know. 100%. Raise. <laughs> All right. That means we actually have to start paying him now, I think, though. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, it's part of a government program. Yeah. Um, what's your next hunt? Where are you going? Uh, let me think about this. Africa. Where are you going? Tanzania. Oh, I gotta, Tanzania. I gotta shoot a Cape Buffalo. Oh, I don't have to. No, I, I feel like get you have to. to. Oh, and have, I'm have super you been stoked. there before? I've never been to Tanzania. Cape Buffalo. Uh, I've been to Mozambique. No, sorry, I said that wrong. I'm going to Mozambique. Have you been Tanzania. there before? Um, no. Cape. I've been to Zimbabwe and yeah. I've been to South Africa. Yeah, but yeah. I've never. They're next to each other. Yeah. So um, super excited about it. it was supposed to go last year, and then this um, stupid virus thing hit, mm. and that uh, that put us off a year. Um, in actuality, I thought it was going to give us a little bit more time to get ready for a new product that we're going to be shooting there. Yeah. Um, yes, because but I don't know if we're going to have it ready or not. I have some understanding about Cape Buffalo, so y- you can't shoot it with this uh, the the BMR. No, we could. Mm. Probably be the last story I tell. <laughs> <laughs> It'd make for a great video. Unless we'll we send, had a we'll send really Thomas good. to video this. That's right. Um, yeah. So, so what you gonna shoot it with then? Uh, three seventy five H and H. Oh yeah, whose yep. gun are you using? Um, it'll be ours. So, so you got some big guns coming out. I, I um, yeah, I don't. You know, I will. I will leave it at that. Well, you got, um, you got a silencer on it. Uh, I'd like to work that out. I don't have one right now you that I would like to. Because you, you need to not wear yes. ear protection so you can hear the pH tell you to run when you make a bad shot. Huh? <laughs> What'd you say? Yeah. Okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I met you guys a little bit too late. But yeah, yeah I don't I don't need to damage my hearing any any worse than it already is. I can't. I can't I, I'm going to go with our 8.6 cartridge as uh, soon as we have more ammo. And I'm going to slay some of the Cape Buffalo with that. Really? Yeah, I'm, well, I'm gonna try. So now you gonna start with some planes game this this because uh, you're going. Yeah, I go, you're, you've I already go. been, haven't you? Well, I go a lot, but I'll be in. Uh, I'm gonna go in two weeks. Okay, going back. Yeah, Phil Ethos, you should be on that trip. You skipped it. So yeah, we're going to shoot some stuff. I don't know. Kate Buffalo gets in the way, and I'm there. We might, you know, we might tussle a little bit. Mm. But but you're definitely gonna do it. I'm definitely gonna do we it. We videoing Not, this? Um, yes. That's exciting. You gonna shoot anything else? Anything gets him away. Oh, no, I, I, I think it. that they have um, some exceptional kudu and Ninyala, so those would be my two natural uh, additions there. And then I've I've never shot a good boar warthog, so those are. Oh, you haven't. Mm-mm. Yeah, I've shot some meat hogs. Man, the, I mean, man, those are tough animals, even by Africans. They standards. really are. Oh, um, I remember shooting a uh, shooting one one time with a forty five seventy while we were over there, and and. I, 
it, this thing, you, it sounded like just walloping a watermelon with a, yeah. with a two by four. And I remember visually just seeing this warthog running off. You know, they, they're pretty steady as they run their tail straight yeah. up in the air. And this thing was running and it was just like growing paint red. And I'm yeah, like, how did it, any North American animal would just would have toppled it over. And this thing ran about 60 or 70 yards and, and rolled over. 45, 70. Because they're, they're not big animals. Mm-mm. No, for me, last time I was in Africa, I shot one uh, 16-inch 308 with Hornady GMX. They're uh, monolithic. Um, the GMX is their solid copper, copper yeah. monolithic expanding bullet. Great for Africa. Three shots inside of 20 yards. Holy cow. And it ran 200 yards. Wow. Um, yeah, they're they're tough animals, man. Nyala's. Well, maybe I'll probably, take five hundred nitro. For <laughs> <laughs> but um, but yeah, Nyala's probably. Oh, that's one of the most beautiful animals. That and the kudu, oh. probably the most. And bongo, maybe, but most beautiful animals in Africa. Uh, I can't. So you, argue you don't that. you don't have a trophy uh, kudu yet. Nope. I got a I got a a representative kudu, but I want I want to I want to move him to the back room and. Replace him with something a little bit more spectacular. Well, good luck to you. Thank you. Are you taking like a 308 or something as well, or are you just taking 375? I will. Yeah, maybe 6.5 or I don't know what, yeah. but I'm going to take a yeah a Plains game rifle. Yeah, um, great. Okay. All right. Uh, favorite optics, since we're talking about going on a hunting trip. Mm, what do you use? You're going to get me in trouble with a lot of people. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Say um, whatever you want. Is that plural? F- favorite optics? Yeah, I mean, if you, if you got to toe the party line like a wuss, go ahead. Uh, well, I, had a, I had a question earlier about you mentioned you did optics packages. Yeah. Uh, so maybe we can leave the, you know, join the two questions. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm the older I get, the more I'm a firm believer in um, quality optics. So yeah. uh, with that being said, Swaro, Collis, um, I like Vortex, uh, depending on the configuration. Yeah. Um, Zeiss, Leopold, those are, I'd say those are my five go-to and, and, you know, and on my, um, my 22 that I've got set up for NRL, um, 22 competition, I've got a Bushnell on it. Yeah. Um, and it, and it's a, it's a nice optic. So, uh, my, anything quality related, I'm, I'm a big fan of. But what are you going to take to Africa? Uh, I got a Leopold. Um, I'm not sure the, uh, I need to look back at the model. I think it's like a one to six. Um, Okay, but a very yeah. just a, a low power. Well, you use that for planes game as well, or you take something with more magnification. I'll probably take something a little bit more magnification for the planes game. Yeah, I think a lot of people get hung up in that, and and I'm taking a, a couple of guns when I go next week, and so our buddy Skipper at Lipold hooked me up with a Mark Five, three point six to eighteen, great optic, and um, that's what I'm going to use for a lot of stuff. So that's on my six five gun. Um, but I've got a, a, a Swarovski uh, Z8I 1-8 to eight on mm. my 308. And, you know, because, you know, over there, it's like I'm going to take some shots that will be in excess of probably three 400 yards. And you'll have some shots that are things are running and they're inside of 100 yards. Right. And so, I would think that, you know, most of the Buffalo shots are going to be – they're going to want you to be inside 100. And yeah. in that, you know, shoot on two power, folks. Yeah. Know? So – I think it's a it's a good setup for it. Yeah, but I for do some like of that, that. You want the field of view too, so even yes. one power with a dot is great. Yep. Well, okay. Totally you're, you're gonna have some Leica glass on your Africa trip. Oh, I, know, I will. I know the field ethos guys are big into the Leica stuff. Oh, I'm excited yeah. to get some new shit. I like when they. No, send I'm not me saying you're gonna get. I'm <laughs> saying they're gonna be using it. Well, so. whatever with those guys. <laughs> if they're not sharing. I don't care. Yeah. No. 
Oh, yeah, their glass. I mean, the yeah. European companies with the glass. And, you know, they have such a rich hunting tradition. You know, and here, it seems like our hunting traditions in America, it's like more economy-based, which Cheap. is annoying. Yeah. Inexp- and inexpensive. Yeah, and over there, it's a little different. Mm-hmm. Um, and just optics in general over there. Mm-hmm. Uh, man, I mean, those companies, I mean, like, oh, God, their binos and stuff. Uh, they make so good stuff, too. Good. So good. I love they- it. They're coming out with some new. I've heard that they've they've got several new models coming out um, well, soon. If Field Ethos is sponsored by them, maybe maybe I'll be the all star of the show. I'll make sure I shoot the things with the smallest gun, the farthest. There you go, nice. and get on this uh, some of these shows we're doing. Maybe I'll get me some free glass. Mm-hmm. All right, why y'all better than Remington? People policies. <laughs> you could end that one right there. <laughs> <laughs> now you know. I think Remington has. Uh, I think their senior leadership was probably their ultimate demise and, and the money behind them. Um, but we won't, uh, you know, yeah. we won't go down that rabbit hole. Um, not cutting corners. Yeah. What you is know? Remington's current status? Right. Because that's the answer. Well, I mean, yeah, yeah. They, <laughs> that's their right. bank just bought out of bankruptcy, and the rem- the, the gun part, which I'm not sure I even I'm okay with this, and, you know, and who am I to judge? Because I'm just an asshole, but. Uh, you know, I think the Remington CEO at the time they went into bankruptcy is in charge of the company. He raised money through private equity or something and bought him out of bankruptcy and is about to put it back in production. That seems shady as shit. I don't know. Like, I'm sure you know, I'm missing something. Uh, we're probably both missing something, but that, that one, uh, you know, I, 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 I probably scratched my head a little bit over that. Yeah, um, it doesn't seem if you're the dude in charge when it goes in the toilet, it doesn't seem like you should be able to buy it for pennies on the dollar and start it back up. Seems shady. I don't know. Well, they haven't started it back up yet. They're not supposed yet. to be, but it, it, look, hey, hey, you know, power to them. Yeah. Um, we're not. Mm-hmm. If we do with our brand what we're supposed to do, it doesn't matter what anybody else does. Oh, I and love that's that what attitude. I we, we oh, tell our Nate. guys all the time. They'll they're like, well, you know, brand X or brand Y, and I'm like, dude, we are who we are. It's in our DNA. If we execute, even even execute at ninety percent, yeah, rest of them don't matter. You know, we're we're going to have as much business as we want, and we're going to be relevant, and we're going to be a, a part of you know the firearms community's lives for a long time. Are you guys growing every year? Yes, more than you expected. Yes, more than your bosses expected. Yes. Um, well, I measure that as a success. Yes. Well. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the thing. Like, I'm very driven by competition. Obviously, I'm fairly confrontational. Um, what? But, <laughs> but the more we get into our own thing, when we had up our mind, like when we made our minds up to do the fix, like I jumped in the deep end. Like I'm not a billionaire. Like I'd been a, pretty fortunate, and I was willing to fund it. That was a lot. But you had for, some for me, and, and so we get into that. When I committed to that, I believed in it. Didn't matter what anyone else is doing. And I don't even really watch a lot of the market anymore. So I don't know what other companies are doing, but I think we're at a place now, whether it's, you know, Adam's experience, uh, Ethan engineering and his team, mine in the industry, I'm real comfortable with who we are. Mm -hmm. And you're right. If we do the things that, that we believe in and we can execute reasonably well, we're going to be successful. I agree with you a hundred percent. Stay, stay true to who you are and, and, you know, you're going to keep crushing it yeah. too. And you're going to, you, I know that you answered yes exponentially to every one of those questions you answered me. So, it, yeah. you know, it, it speaks for itself, right? Yeah. yeah. I, I believe in it. Like, um, 
yeah, we just got to do what we know is right. We got to execute. We got to maintain that culture. Um, and we're going to be successful. I, I believe in it. What the fuck's Begara mean? <laughs> Begara. Like how do we come up with this name? Is it um, probably over a couple of beers and a glass of wine sitting or glasses of wine? Mm. Yeah, sitting in a town where our factory is based in Spain. And drum roll, the name of the town is Bagara. There it is. So yeah, we were literally, we were literally sitting there after you know when we when we decided that we had a, a a business with the barrels, right? So we we're like, oh, cool, we need to name them. What are we going to name them? I don't know. We were literally sitting in the town having dinner. Um, we're like, it's a it's a European company. Um, maybe we should make it, you know, name it something that has a European theme to it. Well, is it the idea sort of like the optics when we talk about like. We talk about premium optics. We don't name, like, Leopold's a great company. We talk about premium optics. We we talk about Zai Swarovski, Leica, these European companies. Is, is that kind of the idea that the premium European products, we want to bring a European name to America? Kind of like Car Arms, you know, that's Justin Moon. He's a Korean-American kid, brilliant guy. He creates um, a great pistol company. And to him, it was like all the great, gun his own words to me all the great gun companies are german so he came up with the name car that sounds german hr sounds german that's the sole reason he named it it was uh so it's a little bit of that and but we spent literally zero dollars of marketing on it we were and i mean again i'm i can i visualize being in that position right now we looked out and we're like well what do we use as a logo Right, so like you got to have a logo for your brand. It can't just be the name. I like the circle and with a B. It's iconic, like the Q. Well, it, it that's what it morphed into. It started out as an old. There's a church there that, and I'm gonna, uh, you know, I'm gonna make this up. The church is like six or eight hundred years old. Yeah. And so we originally had a, a, a steeple with a cross as our original logo for for Bagar Barrels. Ooh. And then and then we kind of outgrew that, and we're like, all right, well, that maybe doesn't make sense. It's a little bit old school. Um, you know, it's a more modern process that we're using. So we kind of dropped the church steeple. It, it, it didn't translate over to, uh, to gun barrels or to, to engraving. It looked great on a Cause barrel. I do know like in that part of the world, like I went to school in Spain and like everyone's Catholic. It, it's they're Catholic. All their buildings over there are old uh, as, you know, the cathedrals, dirt. the churches yeah. are all, yeah. I mean, so, it's a big part of the culture. There. So coming back, Bogara is a town in spain yeah which is where our factory is which is where we make our really cool accurate barrels where that's sort of north so on north, the coast north, west. Yep, northwest in the what they call the basque region um yeah. so we're probably uh where the terrorists come an, from an hour from yeah used to anyway <laughs> yeah when i was in school that all that was the, going on because we were on the border as well but i was in by the lead in central they've kind of kind of gone away now um, yeah yeah and, that all died but uh yeah good surfing up there in that area Great food. Good food. Great Fantastic culture. food. Good Isn't people. it interesting, too? You're so close to France, and, you know, those communities have been there on either side of the border for thousands of years, and they can't communicate. Yeah. Well, they <laughs> actually like, do. There's some, there's some of the uh, folks in France that speak Basque. Well. Those are random. But, yes, but yeah, otherwise. That part, but, you know, where you guys are, you're still speaking Spanish, and it's, you know, traditional Spanish. And, like, with the French, like, you know, how is it, like, it's like here to Maine, like a few miles, and they can't communicate after thousands of years. That's right. Um, okay. So, favorite animal to hunt and eat and or eat? Mm, probably two different answers. Okay, what are they? Um, I like mule deer hunting. 
Oh yeah. Um, short answer. I like it because I, I, I you can glass and walk and hike. It's beautiful. Um, us it's being beautiful. A, be, us being from the East Coast, and you can't see more than a couple hundred yards. You get out there, you can see miles. I'm not a fan of sitting in a little squirrel deer stand for mm. you know for twelve hours a day and seeing you know I, I'll do it, but I don't love it. Yeah. Um, deer. I, I mean, to eat probably, I like a good antelope that's not uh, been around sage. If you get one that's grain fed. Ooh. Oh yeah. That's, um, they're yeah, good. The, the sage, the, mm-hmm. the pronghorn that live out there in sage country. That's if I terrible. Moose off of a friend that's brought up the shot of moose or something. Moose meat's good. Yeah. Um, it's probably my favorites. Yeah. W- what caliber you use to mule deer hunt typically? Anything. Yeah. Six, five. It doesn't matter. I know it's, it's uh, every time I go on a mule deer hunt, when I anticipate shooting something at 800 yards, I shoot something at 60. 50. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. You know. Okay, so uh, favorite hunting silencer or favorite silencer, if you want to. Um, well. It is a trick question. It is a trick question. <laughs> How about the uh, jumbo shrimp? Oh, for 6.5. Yeah. Oh, for your life of hunting. It's a great choice. You know, for me, I, I, again, started out with heavier, longer and then I realized that that wasn't all the the bees' knees. So you know, now oh. I'm on the trend of lighter, shorter. You know, don't care if it's the quietest can out there in the world. I want to be able to maneuver it. I cut a lot of our barrels down that I'm going to use for myself personally. Yeah. So people get all hung up on velocity. Screw that. I, I cut them down. I want to be able to maneuver with it. And then there's never an animal that I'm going to be able to miss. It's a result of the barrel length. That's uh, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, and that's why it, we went to sixteen inch on all of our fixes. Yeah, we had the twenty two inch six yeah. five, and then we're like, why do we need the six five sixteen inch? It still gives you five hundred meters plus of killing capability yeah. with the one forty three LDX from Hornady. And you know, and the silencer, I want to not notice the silencer, and I want to just it not to ring my ears when I shoot. Mm-hmm. So for hunting and stuff like that, when you make them short, like you say, maneuverable makes such a difference whether you're slinging the gun and you're carrying it or you're in and out of a vehicle or you're in a blind yep yeah that's a good answer all right i can i can live with that uh okay so here's another thing so for your guns or a remington based gun a one or two piece mount what do you like for your scope mount base and then you know optic mount i'm a one piece rail unless i have a floor plate and if i'm oh. if i'm using a floor plate i want two piece bases yeah so you do so you're not you covering up the ejection port yeah, because I can't. It's hard to fat finger mm. cartridges in there. But I did have a dude teach me a trick. One of our uh, sales guys, Dakota, I'll give you a shout out for that. Flip your um, your action upside down with a floor plate. Open it up and drop your cartridges in that way, and then close your action. A lot of people don't do that. Yeah, a lot smart. of people just top feed them. Yeah. So with the um, floor plate, basically you get more of the lower receiver, so you got a rigid action. Right. Uh, but it is a total bitch for loading and unloading if you got a one-piece base. Right. Yeah, so that is a cool trick. I didn't know that one. Yeah, it's it, it changed my world. <sighs> so obvious. I never thought about it. <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah, that's a good one. So I'll, I, I I don't disagree with you on that. Okay. Yeah, that's good. All right. Favorite camo for hunting or clothes or what? what's that? Uh, Sitka. Sitka. I'm not a... Good stuff. They make good stuff. I'm uh, I'm a whore. Yeah, <laughs> um, you know, I've got I've got great friends at Realtree, got great friends at Mossy Oak, got some Kuyu, I've got some First Light. Um, I don't typically spend my own money on uh, Sitka because it's too expensive. Um, but I but I, you know, it Kuyu, will change First your Light. life, though. I mean, you and I are spoiled. We get stuff for free. But if you don't have good quality stuff, 
You're miserable. It changes your life when you go on a cold or a wet hunt and you've got Sitka or you've got Kuyu or you've got some Arteryx, you got some good quality stuff. I, uh, th- again, that's like optics. The older I get, the more I believe in that. And I don't want to be out there wet if it's raining. I don't want to be cold, you know, yeah. for my body if, if it's cold outside. I don't want to feel like the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man, you know, <laughs> yeah. to be warm. So, uh, yeah, the, the technology is improving and, and it's money well spent if, you, if you're uh, invested in being outdoors. Yeah, so you're not, you're not loyal to one type of camo. No, not all at right. all. Cool. Adam, you got anything mm-hmm. else, bud? Kevin and Adam, I, you know, I can't uh, thank you guys enough. Appreciate the opportunity to be here. And, and uh, first time I've ever had Southern hospitality in, in New England. So uh, hats off to you. Well, and he's, he's not from here.